All right, let's get going. Let's get going. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Flashpoint Podcast. My name is Owen Higgins. I am your host. You can find the Flashpoint's print edition at owenhiggins.substack.com. That link is in the show bio. It's also at eoinhiggins.substack.com. Hope everybody's doing well today on Monday. It is currently 4 p.m. If you're listening to this afterwards, it's not. Um, I'm joined today by Amanda Moore, who spent a good portion of last year undercover with the far right. We're going to talk a little bit about her experience there. And then if anybody wants to join the conversation, uh, feel free. So, yeah, I don't really think there's much of a point here to delay. I think anything we're going to talk about for Mansion or Build Back Better or COVID or anything, we're going to do that tomorrow night. So if you're listening to this on Monday or on Tuesday day, uh, Tuesday night at 930 is currently when that's scheduled for just kind of, you know, an opportunity for you to vent some of your frustration with the current state of affairs, especially right before Christmas where we have to go and put on our best face for our families or increasingly uh, possibly not considering the spread of the virus and the way that Omicron is, you know, making its way around the country and around the world. All right. So Amanda Moore is joining me and Amanda, I'm going to just let you kind of introduce yourself here and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll start talking. Hey, can you hear me okay? Yep, you're good. Okay, cool. Sorry, I'm having weird, weird Wi-Fi issues. Um, so, yeah, I'm Amanda. I spent the past year, well, I guess not anymore, uh, a past year, like from November until October, undercover in the far right, um, hanging out with QAnon people, going to all of these like conferences that you saw on Twitter where you'd see the screenshots of Mike Flynn calling for a coup, stuff like that. Uh, going to the insurrection, kind of all across the board. Um, and now I'm not doing that anymore because I was docs. So here we are. Great. So um, let's go back and back to before you uh, began your work with the far right. And so what exactly is your background um, and how did you, well, what, yeah, let's, let's start with the beginning. What's your background? Where, where, where did you come from before you decided? Um, so I've always had an interest in the far right. Um, I mean, I was years ago when there was a QAnon uh, rally on the mall in D.C. and I went to that. I went to Trump rallies, just recording stuff. Um, not a Trump fan, big Bernie supporter. Uh, and I, I own a business that is in the live events industry. So it was completely decimated during COVID. Um, I couldn't work. I wasn't able to like get much money from the SBA because I'm not an airline. <laughs> so I kind of had to divert to something else. And I had a podcast pay me to go, uh, you know, record some audio at one of the Stop the Steal rallies. And then it kind of just kept on happening. Even once my um, that podcast wasn't working with me anymore, I still just kept going to things. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um kind of sounds like you were a little bit uh, maybe adrift with the pandemic, which which led you 
to go undercover here. So you were saying November 2020. Was that uh, before the election or, or was it was it? No, the first thing I went to was the November Stop the Steal rally in D.C., which was November 14th. So it was right after uh, Biden was announced. They started making these plans for the Million MAGA March that, depending on who you ask, people thought would be a million people or five people. And it ended up being somewhere kind of in the middle. Um, so it was that rally. And then there was a December rally, a Stop the Steal rally. And then the third one turned into the insurrection. All right. Yeah. So let's 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 talk about each of these. So at the November one, what what was, how many people were there in, in kind of what was the, the feel, what was the vibe at, at the, at the, at the rally? Because obviously, you know, I think that it, you don't just go from zero to 60 for like January 6th, um, right off the bat. Right. It, you know, it, it takes a little while for people to get amped up and people to get ready for this uh, level of, let's call it, riot or insurrection, however you would want to refer to what happened that day. But November, the Stop the Steal rally, uh, so this is mid-November. And let's see. So Biden was, when, when was Biden announced the winner? Like, you know, er, like a couple days after maybe that. Friday or Saturday, so this would have been maybe like a week later. What, what was it like there? Um, it was strange. So they had come into town, most people came in the night before, and like they were terrorizing people at night. I mean, I went to a spin class in the morning, like out on the water, like an outdoor spin class, and they were like, thanks for showing up and walking through these assholes to get here because they were out harassing people. So, you know, we had a mask mandate at the time, and if you were wearing a mask, I mean, they would like scream at you. People who worked in retail, who worked in restaurants were just completely miserable. Um, even just the night before the rally, before everybody's in town. Uh, they kind of, once the rally started, it was, it's divided. I'm very bad at estimating how many people are in any given place, but especially at something like this, because they had multiple like areas where people would be. Um, and I would say the vibe, like I wore a mask to this one. I didn't wear anything branded. I didn't wear all black. I just like wore whatever I wore to spin class and put a mask on. Yeah. So, so you weren't undercover at this point. You were just. Yeah. I was just like walking through it because I also did not think it was going to be as many people as it was. Like it didn't, I was not like, oh, this is something that should be documented. I was like, oh, like what? 50 of these assholes will show up and like, that'll be the end of this. That is not what happened. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I walked uh, across the mall to see what was going on. Um, and there were, you know, people trying to pick fights with people they had decided that were Antifa or people that were actually counter-protesting. Um, but, like, you know, for me, nobody asked me to, like, take my mask off. Nobody said anything about it. Nobody accused me of being pressed. Nobody accused me of being Antifa. Um, which ended up making it seem really chill and relaxed compared to the next two rallies. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, and then I left at night. I didn't stay once it got dark. But I know, I mean, there was obviously a great deal of violence that I think made national news that night, you know, pulling on car doors, trying to get, you know, open up doors to screw people for wearing masks and Ubers, like kind of stuff like that. Um, but during to scream, the day. To scream at people for, I, I don't remember hearing about this. So, yeah. so, they were, so it was like kind of like a grab bag of stuff. For yeah. Well, once, once it gets dark, like what happened in all of these rallies? Is that, you know, when it gets dark, like people are drinking all day at Harry's 
And then they are continuing to drink when the rally's over. And then they just like want to go out and pick up a fight. So groups of Proud Boys would kind of like roam around. And yeah, there were people who, um, you know, like there was, there was a video of it, of someone trying to pull open a car door and they're like, why are you wearing a mask in a car? And it's like, well, because it's probably an Uber. That's why there's a person in the front and a person in the back. You know what I mean? Like you have to wear a mask. It's not like a private car. Um, and just like this detachment from reality and like not understanding, I guess, how COVID works <laughs> to people who believe that COVID is real. Um, and, you know, they, I know they beat up some people in front of a hotel. Um, so it was like violence. It wasn't obviously as extreme violence as January 6th, but it was there. People were very unhappy to live here. Were you, I mean, were you seeing people like drinking and using drugs at, at the, uh, at, at the rally before? before you got there um so dc has allowed um like carrying of alcohol permanently and i'm pretty sure we had done it by then and so if i had noticed people doing it a little bit i probably wouldn't have like registered my brain harry's was packed um i know that for a fact (laughs) so like people were definitely at the bars like drinking um and there's footage of at night people at Harry's drinking like to the point where they got fined multiple times because they were violating pretty much every nightlife DC COVID law that there was. Um, but I didn't see people doing drugs. Doesn't mean they weren't doing them. But it's just a it. Sure, sure. But so so anyway, um, so you go to this rally and nobody really bothers you. So then you decide to go to one in December. What what motivated you to go to the one in December, um, and and what was it about it that felt like it was the, it was it was the right thing to do? Uh, you know, outside of just as you said, you're kind of general boredom and and just kind of looking for something. Um, I mean, I was at the uprising in Baltimore, right? Like, I I was recording that. I was at Trump's inauguration. I so I mean, I would have gone no matter what. Like, I live here, and it's right there. Uh, but I mean, I was being paid by a podcast to record audio. Uh, they asked me the night before if I was going. I said, of course. And they were like, well, can you go record stuff? Um, and so that is obviously very important here. Um, but I mean, it's like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to explain it because it's just so ingrained in who I am. Like the woman who does my Brazilian waxing texted me on January 6th. And she's like, I bet you're out there recording those assholes, aren't you? Like, it's just so like, it's, it's my interest. To, to go and see things in real life and see it happen and document it, right? So I, I was always going to go something that was literally in my zip code. Um, but I- gotcha, gotcha. So, so what did you see? It was awful. Um, <laughs> I uh, almost immediately ditched the mask. I was like, this is not safe. If you wore a mask, people yelled at you. They said you were Antifa. They said you were oppressed. Um, I have people telling me, like... I, you know, I, I respect the police. I like the police, but the police just can't help us because these liberal mayors won't let them, you know, do whatever they want to criminals. And I don't trust the police anymore. And I only trust the proud boys, uh, people like, and that's during the day. <laughs> that's not even at nighttime. Right. It's just during the day. People just being like, I don't want anything to do with the police anymore. I want the proud boys to replace the police. At night, I would hear uh, things like, like a proud boy stabbed somebody. And I overheard an old couple talking about it, like in their like mid sixties with the husband saying, you know, I don't like violence either, but if a proud boy stabbed that guy, he must've deserved it. And the wife being like, yeah, it's probably true. Um, so there's just this, almost like a, 
almost like a campaign, like a marketing campaign to make themselves feel like they were the only people we could trust. The Proud Boys kind of like swooped in and took over the police for everybody who was there, who was from out of town. Yeah, so they were acting kind of as security. And 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 that kind of, you know, brings up this sense of instability and insecurity, right? That that the police aren't acting and, and, and the Proud Boys are. Um, what what was I mean what were the level Um during the day I know there was violence. I did not see it. I know Will Summer was down at the end. So this is the other thing about the December rally. They had three stages set up. Um and obviously there's a lack of reporters who were willing to go out and do this and do this for many reasons, COVID and also physical safety <laughs> from you know people who hate the press. Uh, so I was down closer. I was at the Supreme Court stage. So I was at like the furthest east stage that you should go, you could go to. Um, and there wasn't really any violence down there, but I know that there was far across at the other end, uh, where one of the other stages was set up at. So during the day, it was pretty fine for me. Once it was night, I mean, people were getting stabbed like in front of me. So a little bit more violent at that point in time, I think. Uh, but it still wasn't like, they had, they had put up boards all across the city because, you know, they were worried about rioting. Um, and during the day, people would complain about that and they would be offended. They would be like, oh, well, we're not violent people. You know, we're not Black Lives Matter. We're not Antifa. I don't understand why they boarded up, you know, the Sephora. And it's like, well, <laughs> you kind of are violent people sometimes. Um, and, you know, it just like the last time, but it was, it was worse. And something, too, that would be strange is, you know, we're... At night, where Harry's is, is kind of like the, the meeting point. And it's a pretty safe area of D.C. It's downtown. I mean, it's like where my office is. <laughs> I'm there all of the time. And it was very strange because everybody around me was just completely convinced we were in, like, the most dangerous part of D.C., that crime was imminent. I mean, you couldn't walk a block across the street to, like, go to Walgreens or something without people jumping in to be like, do you need an escort? Are you safe? Are you okay? And it's like, well, I'm walking two blocks. I think I'm going to make it. Um, so they also like, created this really tense vibe where you felt like you were in danger, even though you clearly were not in danger. Right, right. So so then you went to the January one, but were, what kind of work were you doing in between to kind of shore up your credentials with these guys? I mean, it, it seems like... Uh, you know, by, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but by like January 6th or, or shortly thereafter, you know, it was, it, you were able to pretty quickly insinuate yourself into the far right movement. And I'm just kind of wondering like how you went about that outside of just a. That is not a January 6th story. Um, when I went to CPAC in Orlando at the end of February, I had gotten a burner number. And at that point I had like, uh, a lavalier mic I had in my bra, Bluetooth one, in addition to the handheld mic I'd already been using. Um, and I went to a fundraiser and a, a blood and soil fascist recruited me to help uh, his grassroots organization grow within DC. So that's how I got okay, really so, involved. <laughs> okay. So, so let's get to that in a second. But um, just, just tell us a little bit about your experience during uh, one sec. So I showed up late because, again, 
I, I didn't think it was going to start as early as it did. I, I was like, surely everything's going to run slow. And maybe it did. I, I'll never know <laughs> because by the time I got there, there were so many people. You couldn't even get to where the speakers were at to be able to hear anything the president was saying. Right. And so people have like boom boxes out, you know, sitting on 14th street, like playing the speech through their phones. Um, everyone's like in pretty good spirits, having a great time, whatever. And then I guess when he said for us to go to the Capitol, I did not hear it, but people started to say, where's the Capitol? And if you're familiar with DC at all, we were standing on like constitution. So if you just open your eyes and like look to the right, you see the Capitol building. Uh, it's a very clear straight shot. And I'm like, I texted my friends. I was like, these idiots, like, uh, they don't know the Capitol. They don't even know where we're going. You know, I, what, what are we going to do here? But all that being said, I was sure something was going to happen very violent. I just thought it was going to be at night. I didn't think it was going to be <laughs> at one in the afternoon. Um, so when I marched down the Capitol, I actually left my gas mask in my office. I was like, I'll come back for it. You know, I'm not going to need it yet. Uh, and obviously that was a very wrong decision. Uh, you know, when we were marching down, I was with the QAnon shaman. He was very annoying, very loud. So I kind of like held back and let him go for a little while. And then there were some groupers that were marching by. And they were quieter, <laughs> so I went with them. Uh, and by the time I got down to the Capitol, there's like a walkway. And there's a little brick wall. You know, it's what, two feet tall. You can jump over it, step up on it anytime. And then there's like grass, right? So all these people are sitting on the bricks and there's people up in the scaffolding, you know, there's your shoulder to shoulder. You can barely move. You can only move forward. Um, and the police start releasing pepper bombs at us, to be clear. And everyone around me is cheering. And they're like, yeah, get Antifa, get Antifa. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Like, this is us. And, but it was that still like that happy, jubilant, you know, attitude they had had. We were down at the White House. So there's like an old lady with a cane next to me and there's like little kids like running ahead of their parents and everybody is just like, yeah, yeah, get Antifa. Every time, the, every time the cops shoot pepper bombs at us. Um, I don't know really when people started to realize what was going on, but it, I mean, it felt like a hundred years. Uh, and I eventually turned around and came back because I was worried about getting trampled to death, which would be literally the most embarrassing way to die is getting trampled at a Trump rally. Um, and like, your phones didn't work, nothing worked. People were, people were still incredibly happy. Like still, I, you know, there's occasionally as you're walking forward, proud boys would come out and they have been tear gas, you know, they're like helping each other out, helping whoever can't see. And still people are just marching forward with their children. <laughs> like, it's like this disconnect where they don't understand, but obviously we're getting tear gassed. Obviously like you're seeing the effects of this on other people. And they're like, it can't be for us. Like, I, I do not know what justifications they use in their heads, but they let their kids keep going ahead. Like, little kids, like, seven or eight years old. It was truly wild. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 really, it really seemed, you know, from the outside looking on, that, that it was just, like, a, a real mob movement of, you know, like, people just really just acting as like with uh with with almost like a hive mind like not really thinking clearly just they like they had there, there was some sense of direction of what they should do which was like go to the capital and get angry and they just kind of went 
Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, it, you know, it was, it was so crazy. People are like cheering, like, this is our house. This is our house. I'm like, bro, you're holding a Confederate flag. Like, this is not your house. Like, what are you talking about? Um, I, I did not even know. I was taking like a video, just some random video. And because people are climbing up the wall to get into the Capitol. And this guy walks by me and like sing songs, back doors open. And I'm like, obviously he's making that up. And I'm with two reporters at this point in time. I've run into two Mother Jones reporters that I, I know. And then, so the three of us try to like go get cell service. We just walk away. And you have to go to like the end of the block. Your phone doesn't work at all. And my phone, it just starts blowing up. And it's all these people, all these notifications. New York Times, Trump mob is in the building. You know, text messages, Politico, Washington Post, everything. And we're just like, what? What is this? It's mind boggling. I'm pretty sure all three of us we're at the inauguration and all three of us, I think we're at the black lives matter event in June where uh, Donald Trump tear gassed us so that he could hold a Bible in front of a church. And just the disconnect that we all felt from reality as we're standing there, like we've, we've been, you know, through so much worse for standing in the street that the Trump, the president Trump wanted to cross. Right. Like, and these people are like busting it. They're literally in the Capitol building and nobody, the only thing a cop ever said to me, the whole day was you have to walk in the grass if you want to go to the Capitol because we're bringing a stretcher through now. That's it. So just very, very strange, very strange. So you were saying that you then went to CPAC in February um, and that, and that that was when you got recruited. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested in the interim period here a little bit, though. Um, were you doing any kind of work online or anything to kind of, like, boost yourself a little bit, like, like for these people? Or or was it just, you know, they saw you, they found you attractive, they, they thought it was great that you seemed on board, and they just kind of went? I mean, I, what level of OPSEC do we have here with these guys? Are they just really stupid, or, or, or was there, like, some real work? Um, at this point in time, there was nothing. I mean, like I said, I had a burner number. So I had like, you know, a Telegram account with a burner number. Um, I didn't use my real last name when I signed up for CPAC. Uh, stuff like that. But I mean, no, nobody ever Googled me. <laughs> nobody ever. You know, I said I lived in Maryland. My burner number was a Maryland area code. And I, you know, I know enough of the areas that I lived in that it was easy. If I ran into people who actually were from that area. And it was fine. Um but no, no, this guy asked for my number and I gave it to him. And then he like hit on me a whole bunch and I was like, whatever. And then I got back and I searched his name. And I saw that he had um, done a podcast uh, with a guy from Identity Europa and it was called uh, Blood, Soil, Liberty. And I was like, oh, this is like somebody I should probably respond to. And, and I mean, that's how it happened. Literally no research of me. I didn't have any social media or anything like as my fascist character at this point in time, there was nothing for them to look at. So, but they didn't even try. I mean, that's what's so, that's what's so crazy to me. They didn't even, they didn't even bother. Yeah. Um, all right. So then what happened at, 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 at CPAC? So the day that I went to this reception where this guy asked for my information, 
was actually, I think, the second to last night. It was like the last full night of CPAC because I think the next day Trump came. Um, and you know, before that, I had talked to people or whatever, and I, you know, filmed a lot of the uh, the protesting that was happening out front. And it was, I mean, it was fine. And I will say, like, it it was very, I don't know. I it ended up at the time, it felt very surreal because, you know, DC has or had, I guess maybe still has some, like, uh, fairly strict COVID rules for as far as, like, stuff in America goes. You know, our indoor dining was completely closed. Um, even when it was open, you could only sit, you know, like, six people to a table. You couldn't move tables. Like, you couldn't stand up and consume anything. Um, you had to be seated to consume. So all these rules, some of them made sense, some of them didn't. You know, obviously, bar seating was gone. Um, and so it was already a little weird to be at Florida where you could just do literally whatever you wanted. And obviously, like, you cannot wear a mask at CPAC. Eventually, they made us put them on, but like, you can't, you know, at anything like auxiliary, you cannot because people won't trust you. They think you're a journalist. So it was, it was weird to like get around that. And it was kind of at the time, it was like, well, this is incredibly strange. <laughs> like, this is all so much, you know, people talking about the vaccine and how they're afraid of it. And I, you know, I was trying at that point in time, I was still telling people, you know, I'm vaccinated and I'm alive and fine. And so, like, just something to think about. Um, which as time would go on, that would become too dangerous to say to people. Um, so at, at the time it seemed so extreme, but now in retrospect, I'm like, well, CPAC was pretty mild and chill. Like, like it, it was only a little fascist. It wasn't, you know, 100% fascist. Um, but the, the event that I was really there for was this, this reception that I, I went to, and it was supposed to be Lauren Boebert, Paul Gosar and Marjorie Taylor Greene. And Boebert, pulled out and got replaced with Laura Loomer. So it was this reception with the three of them as speakers. Um, and obviously the night before that, uh, Nick Fuentes had hosted AFPAC 2, where Laura Loomer and Paul Gosar were also speakers. Unfortunately, he wanted your bank account information to buy a ticket. So I did not do that because I'm not, you know, ever giving Nick Fuentes my bank account information. Um, but I mean, there weren't even like a ton of protesters or anything either. There were a handful, but not too many. Um, and, you know, it was all about running for a local office and staying true to our conservative selves and, you know, making sure that you are just as, you know, transphobic and anti-CRT as possible uh, if you decide to run for, for school board, or if you decide to run for Congress or any, any kind of elected position. Um, so it was, I mean, it was very, I think, standard, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene rhetoric. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what we've come to expect. Right. Um, so what was kind of, you know, there was that event and then there was CPAC when you got kind of recruited and then, and then you were in, you know, you were, you were, uh, you were on the inside and can you just, and, and leading up to you getting docs. And I think that's a separate question, but your time in this movement, it seems like you got very, very close to people. And, and I, I don't want to say rose through the ranks, but, but you got inside this movement very, very quickly. Um, how much of that was, intentional and how much of that was just kind of like the natural snowball effect of um 
I, I think, you know, it was both. Um, I would not say I rose to the ranks by any stretch of imagination. A lot of it, I was just privy to stuff because people like completely trusted me for reasons I really just don't understand. Um, you know, I was supposed to do some recruitment of, uh, you know, a couple of uh, Congress people. Um, and so I had met up with some of their people in D.C. and we were talking about our strategy for that. And, uh, you know, some things in Congress kind of derailed after that. Uh, Matt Gates, for one, got in a, a, some trouble. <laughs> um, and so it kind of put a pit in those plans just while those things were being worked out. Um, you know, there's not a lot of fascists in D.C., right? Like, there's fascists in, like, what I think people who aren't from here think of as D.C., but the federal area of D.C. is a very small stretch of area, and there's actually, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that just live here, and they vote overwhelmingly blue. Um, I think we were, like, what, 95 96% for, for Biden. So to find someone who lives and, you know, in D.C. and is also, like, down with your fascist agenda kind of helps uh, just because you're rare uh, in that area, I think. I mean, he specifically said to me, you know, we need someone there. We don't have people like that there. Um, and then, you know, I certainly like, encouraged it. Again, a lot of what happened was just they would just tell me whatever. Um, and a lot of that is just, you know, having a fake Instagram, having a fake Facebook, texting people, you know, and just like random shit, like not always about this stuff. Just, I mean, like you text your friends. Uh, and that really, I think, created a sense of trust with me. Uh, again, I don't don't understand why nobody ever Googled me because I definitely Googled all of them. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a combination of both. Uh, just luck of the draw and, and trying to, and there were people that at first didn't trust me. I would like work to like get their trust. And that was usually just watching a couple episodes of America First and the Quintas and picking five or six sentences and saying it back at them. And that was, that was all it took. Yeah. Yeah. You, um, it's just, it, it uh, just these dummy accounts is just so funny. I mean, but it, cause it seems to me from the, just hearing about this from the outside that it wasn't, that they didn't even bother to check this stuff because they were just so sure that there was just no way like there's just no operational security here at all which is definitely something that i so a long time ago this is a little i'll, I'll do a little personal story here in the middle so a long time ago uh when i lived in washington state i worked with a not-for-profit organization that uh, that worked with veterans and PTSD and domestic violence survivors. One of the things that we did was to provide security and operational security protocols uh, to, well, mostly to people who were survivors of domestic violence, but because of the area that we lived in, there was, you know, some, some call for that from, uh, for political reasons as well. And I remember that there were, this is, you know, this is Pacific Northwest. So the neo-Nazis there are, are not like the people that we're talking about here. I mean, they, like they are, they are pretty serious people. So they very quickly uh, were able to figure out who, and this is, you know, this is like 2000s. This is not even the 2010s. So 
the search engines aren't aren't even as uh, powerful as as they were by you know by the Obama years. This is before the Obama years. Um, anyway, uh, so I remember that that they were able to figure out where people lived and they, and and they were stalking them and and we had to kind of like manage that. Uh, But it seems that, I mean, it would have been very difficult to like infiltrate these, like those groups. Um, But it seems like these groups that you were infiltrating don't have that. And I wonder how much of that is because, you know, neo-Nazis and, and, and hardcore white supremacist groups established hardcore white supremacist groups in the U.S. have been the subject of scrutiny and, uh, you know, governmental, like the government has watched them, police watch them. So they've learned how to kind of like watch out for people who might be kind of spying on them. It seems that the Proud Boys and these other, like these new blood and soil fascists, they may be interested and and have like the same ideology as these other far-right groups, these more established far-right groups, but they just don't seem to have any sense of operational security at all. And it's funny because, you know, there's, there's all of this implication and sometimes outright declaration that members of these groups are government informants members of these groups are working undercover with with the feds like not just doing what you're doing which which was just like you know recording them for for journalistic purposes and for and and to kind of expose what they're doing but but actually like you know government agencies and stuff who are going after them they just don't seem to have like any sense of what's going on i don't know I mean, obviously, you know, anything that slows or stops these guys is great, but it, it does kind of boggle the mind that they wouldn't have like the very basic operational security to be like, hey, this person just started their Instagram page and literally every other uh, um, like like literally every other like social media thing that I can track with this person just happened. Like just happened a couple months ago, but it just doesn't seem like they did that with you. Um, and I, yeah, I'm wondering like what what your interpretation is of that. Do you, do you think that that's a an, an accurate uh, read? Well, they're in a hard spot, right? So I mean, I created my Instagram like I think April, and you know everybody hates Jack Dorsey, everybody hates you know Zuckerberg, right? And everybody's accounts got purged after the six. It wasn't just, you know, Ali Alexander and whoever. It, it was like your normal, your normal rank and file people who can't shut up about it, uh, who can't stop spreading baseless lies, who can't stop being racist. Like there are all of those accounts, a lot of them got closed down too and people made new accounts. So, you know, and I would tell people, I'm like, oh, I'm IP banned. And I actually really was IP banned from, from Twitter. Um, and I really did have to reset my IP address but, you know, I was just like, yeah, my PBA and I haven't done anything about it yet. People would be like, oh, yeah, it sucks. It happened to me, too. It's just super normal. I mean, it's getting your social media banned and having to start it back up is is normal. People don't use real names all the time. I mean, people who are doing, you know, videos on Rumble and, and who are willing to be spokespeople, they use their real names. But nobody batted an eye. You know, I even told somebody once. It was like, yeah, this isn't my real last name. Like, I was like, it's, it's my middle name. 
which was also a lie. And he was like, oh, I, he's like, don't worry about it. He's like, everybody uses fake names here. Nobody wants to be tracked. And, you know, they're working, <laughs> they're working with Congress or they're working at embassies. Like, of course, they don't want to have that associated with their real name. Right. And so a lot of it is like give and take, like how, you know, if I demand to know your real ass name, how, you know, how much do you want from me and how much am I willing to give up? And I was going to change my voter registration to Republican just to like make it sound like I made my uh, address a PO box. And I was like, well, you know, I can just do voter registration. It's going to be like whatever. And I, I got a PO box in Maryland that I made my billing address. And that was above and beyond. I never needed to do any of that because nobody ever asked for anything. So. Yeah, yeah. No, it, that, I mean, that's definitely, it's definitely pretty fascinating, honestly. Just, uh, but I guess, I guess that if everybody in the group is like going by a fake name and everybody feels like they have to like be protecting themselves, I guess that in that way it is kind of easy to kind of, work your way in and and uh like have a good excuse for not having your real name so um you you did some events i think i think you said with with turning point usa or you attended some of their conferences um what what do you see there and and how would you kind of you know place them within within this far-right movement like are they are they all the way to blood and soil fascists are they are, are they is is their facade like uh good enough to to give them some wiggle room on that and if so how long do you think that'll last what's what's your general impression of 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 turning Amanda, are you there? I'm sorry, I hit the mute button. Um, I, when I went to events, I would not go to, to speeches if they were covered. So if there were journalists there, if there were live streams like there were with Turning Point USA, I don't make an appearance, pop in, catch a speech or two, get irritated, walk out. Because I'm not there for that, right? Like, I'm there to like go to the bar with these people afterwards. Uh, so Turning Point USA is, you know, I very progressive compared to the people that I was hanging out with, right? You know, they have, like, they're, they're okay with Caitlyn Jenner. You know, they're, they're okay with people being gay. And those are just things that are just not okay within the groups that I was with. And those groups, uh, the Groypers and, and, you know, older fascists, they use Turning Point USA as a recruitment uh, base. You know, they'll hold events that are in hotels across the street. Uh, and, you know, they'll make fun of Charlie Kirk. They'll make fun of Turning Point. And it's a situation where you've got all these young college students. And, you know, this is like a party, right? Like, uh, you can get a scholarship, so everything is free. Like, the flight's free. Like, they pay for you. They put you in the hotels and everything. If you're a student, you don't have to pay for anything. You don't want to. So, you know, people are kind of, like, out and doing whatever they want. And, you know, they'll go to these, these side events. And it's a perfect, perfect gateway straight into extreme fascism. So I think Turning Point is bad. I think it's, it's not great. Terrible ideals, obviously. Terrible people or speakers. 
But what's happening that you don't see on those live streams is far worse than what's going on at Turning Point USA itself. Yeah, what do you what do you mean by that exactly? I mean, like it it sounds to me, unless I'm misinterpreting, like you're talking about something that's happening outside of Turning Point, but you're but now you're referring to something that's happening inside of Turning Point. Is that right? That these are two different. Well, so like Turning Point USA is a conference, right? So like in Tampa, the Tampa Bay or wherever the hell I was, I think it was Tampa. The Tampa Bay Convention Center is Turning Point USA, right? But then there's this like Goyper spinoff group called the American Populist Union. And it's, you know, run by a 16 year old uh, fascist. And he, you know, he has this thing. It's at the Marriott Hotel that's literally one block away. And it's not affiliated with Turning Point USA. You know, it's not, you can't buy your ticket through Charlie Kirk. You know, they're not going to get up on stage and talk about it. They can't use TPUSA branding, you know, in their advertisements, but they can hold an event directly across the street during the exact same time frame, And they do. And, you know, that is you know, hours of talking about how, you know, we need marriage between one man and one woman. And we need to have, you know, as much of right wing populism, right, where it's like we need to have uh, the ability for one parent to work and one parent to stay home. Um, also, uh, there should be no gays. <laughs> and uh, everybody in Chicago, you know, who, who isn't white, we could probably send it back to wherever they came from. And it is accessible to people who are at these events already. Like, again, they're traveling. I mean, many of these kids, like they're 18, 19, like, I don't know how many trips they've been on without their parents, probably not a ton, right? And it's, it's very, very easy, I think, to get recruited into this stuff. I mean, it's like, it's like going to any conference as an adult, or like a real not fascist conference. There's always, you know, a VIP party and this and that. And that's, I think, where a lot of the radicalization probably happens at Turning Point USA. So it's, you know, it doesn't have Charlie's blessing, but it's definitely going on. Right. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a way in for them, for sure. Um, so, okay. So we got about, it's like 4.40 right now. So um, let's talk about how you got doxxed. Um, so it seemed like things were going pretty well. And then all of a sudden, someone dropped a hammer on you. Uh, what was that like? And, and and what did you kind of have to do to kind of scramble to make sure that you... That sucks so much. <laughs> um, I pissed off somebody who dedicated their time to figure out who ran my Twitter account. I don't make my Twitter account with the intention of going undercover. So, I mean, like, there was stuff, like, deep, deep back in the account that they, they could, could and did find. Um, I mean, like, they did basically any research on me at all, which, again, the fascist I was hanging out with probably should have done. Very easy to find me, actually. Um, so I started getting, on September 27th, people emailing me um, with, like, information about myself that was like mostly wrong but like enough of it was I, it, they weren't like saying hey i know you know frank the turtle they were saying amanda so right out of the gate i know they know something and then people started responding to my tweets with pictures of me um so it sucked so i you know i was working like alongside like, well, a journalist knew what i was doing right and so i was talking to him about it he's like i think you're probably still okay it's probably gonna blow over a couple other people told me the same thing and then one day, I get a text message from QAnon John COO, which is just the most absurd like thing I've ever said in my life. And he sends me my docs. 
And he says, what is this? People are, and then he sends me um, QAnon Anonymous' live stream that I was on. And my face isn't on it, but I have a pretty distinct way of talking. He's like, people are saying this is you. And I denied it, denied it. It did, it did not work. But I, you know, at the time, that was early October, and I was supposed to be at AmpFest at Trump Doral, and I, I skipped out. It was like a $700 ticket, and I didn't even go. It sucks so much. And I... I was like, well, maybe it's a blowover because like the QAnon people, they're like boomers, you know, they're on weird telegram channels. It's like possible it won't cross over. And I talked to the fascists. I mean, they're like all like my age or younger or a little older, like right around there. And I, I talked to them, so at least one of them every day. And I was like, well, nothing's off, you know. These guys have no clue. And a week before I was supposed to fly down to Florida for NatCon with them, everybody blocked me on Instagram. And I was like, well, I, I, we're done. And that is when I posted on Twitter um, who I was and what I had been doing because I knew I had to rip the bandaid off because I still wanted to justify in my head, like, maybe I can still go. <laughs> like, maybe it's just a coincidence, which obviously it was not a coincidence. Um, so. Yeah. And so you have just hours and hours and hours of audio footage uh, you know, as, as you've told me and you've told others, um, it's, it just seems, it seems like just a massive amount of information. I'm, 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 I'm almost like, uh, you know, just blown away by how much stuff you must have. What, what's your, what's your plan here, uh, for, I mean, are you going to write a book? Are you writing some articles? What's what's going to be the? I mean, what are you going to do with this massive data that you collected over the? Over um, well, there should be um, articles coming out beginning next month in a couple, or at least one, um, like large publication. Uh, it's a lot of information, you know, and it's not it's not really something I think that like the whole story cannot be told even in a book because it's not. I mean, some of the stuff is so in-depth and involved. Like, if you don't have... Some people are going to be like, oh, I want the hot gossip. You know what I mean? Like, I want to know what it's like to hang out with QAnon people. Um, and people are going to be like, no, I need to know the details that you know about Patriot Front. So I'm trying to, like, work with people as best as I can about, you know, people who do a lot of work um, archiving things and have records of, of what the far right has said and done, working with them to make sure they have all the audio that they need. Um, I mean, I hope somebody offers me a book deal that would be amazing um but yeah i want to i want to write and put as much of it out as i can which is actually why i was uh up until 5 a.m last night <laughs> i haven't talked to anybody but you in like two days because i've been busy writing all this up <laughs> yeah yeah um what 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 kind of what kind of information what kind of lessons would you like people to learn from your experience you know undercover with these guys i think one thing that's really come through during this conversation is that uh, they're not that bright. They don't have incredible operational security, but they're still very dangerous. What, what, uh, what, what's your sense of the far right movement in the U S right now from what you saw and what's, what's your sense of how, how, and, and, how they're going to try and do what they want to do, um, if if they're even going to do it. I mean, like, how much of this is cosplay and how much? Of this is 
I think you cut out. Um, I did. I did. Oh, oh, maybe I did. What, what was the last thing that you heard me? Um, we were asking how much of it is cosplay. I'm assuming how much of it is real. Yeah, yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so that... um, I mean, people I was, I was with are helping staffers write legislation. So it's it's pretty real. <laughs> um, <laughs> sucks. Uh, you know, I... I, it's incredibly alarming, and I, I think the fact that you know, I mean, I think that specifically people that I was working with, and um, some people who are adjacent to them, I know I've put the fear of God in them, and they're like teaching people on Telegram how not to fall for another me. Um, but that'll you know that'll fade away. It, it won't be you know as in their minds in a couple of months, and it'll I think probably be easy to do something similar again. Um, it's the, I'm, I'm extremely concerned about the rise of right-wing populism. And I think we have a set of conditions in this country where, you know, we're telling people, you know, you're on your own, like figure, figure this virus out. Oh, your, your business closed where you work closed, like sucks, you know, we're all out of unemployment. Um, and I think there's going to be a large part of the population where right-wing populism is going to be appealing to them on its face. And it makes me incredibly concerned for midterms. It makes me incredibly concerned for the presidential election. Um, and, you know, they really, they're really all in. And, and there's this strange, like, you know, I, I never met a fascist that blamed Antifa or the FBI for January 6th. Everybody that I know, almost everybody was there. And everybody was proud of it. And everybody thought it was only disappointing that it didn't go far enough. And I think that's like probably the best way in my experience to determine who's a threat and who's not. Because, you know, some, some 55-year-old lady whose daughter won't talk to her because she won't get vaccinated, who's like, I, I was at January 6th and it was a prayer circle. I mean, she, whatever. She's a lunatic and she needs to get vaccinated, but she's like not going to take over the government. Um, but the people who were like, strong and proud about about january 6 um the, the right-wing populists they are they're a huge huge threat and it's so easy to make fun of them uh, because they talk about masculinity and they talk about whatever and it sounds silly they're you know they're saying christ is king but it doesn't really matter how like silly it is to us at the end of the day like they're going to get people to agree with what they're saying and it, it's not great what do you think is going to happen uh, next month on the anniversary of January 6th? Was there ever any talk about like them doing something before, before you got docs in October? You ever hear anything? I mean, or do you think they're just going to let that? I don't think they're going to do anything here. Though I think that our local government will probably build another wall around the Capitol for a month or two. Um, I, I think it's going to depend on what happens with COVID. Um, I think if, if states start to close at all, uh, even mass mandates coming back, I can see, uh, some kind of justice for J6, you know, rally being planned on or around January 6th. And I can see that escalating into also an anti-vax, anti, um, uh, mask event, which will inherently, I, I assume, probably in some places become, if not violent, at least threatening the way a lot of those protests were back in, in the spring of 2020. Um, and I know, I mean, DC, we just got our mask mandate back and 
I don't think anything will happen here. I know Massachusetts, I'm pretty sure, just uh, is doing a, a vaccine mandate now for bars and restaurants. So I see it already starting to happen. Um, and these are good things. Like, I, I think we should have vaccine mandates everywhere. But I, I do think that it might coincide with January 6th in a way where I can see some local rallies getting a little wild. But I don't think they'll come here. I think, I think they're kind of afraid to come here. And I think there's also a, I mean, I know there is a huge bitterness towards the people who say it was Antifa and FBI. Um, I mean, it's like a slap in the face because, right, like it was supposed to be very cool and good. Because they have five. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't think they're going to want to work with those people. And the thing is, you need those useful idiots who are going to walk away and be like, it was a prayer circle. What are you talking about? You need them there because you need bodies. You have to have a lot of people. And I don't think they're going to get those numbers by January 6th. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably true. I think that, I, you know, it's interesting hearing that there's this sense of pride about it, which, which you would expect. But, you know, there, I, I think that there's also been a, an, an effort and this is maybe more from moderate right wingers, uh, kind of people who who are just posting takes online, but to kind of downplay one six and downplay the far right movement in the U.S. That's probably a different conversation. Um, you know, with, with with the last couple minutes here, as someone who has been undercover in the far right, as somebody who has had a lot of experience with these people. What what's your sense of the government's reaction, you know, the kind of the hearings on one six, uh, the the potential that some people have have expressed concerns over that that the government is going to use this as another excuse to do overreach kind of the way that they have over, you know, just about every thing about political unrest or or attacks or whatever over the last 20 or so years. Um, you've been there. You've been, you, you've been with these people. What do you think? You think that that is overblown? Uh, do you, do you think that these kind of extreme measures are appropriate or, or do you think that maybe they're both wrong? It's kind of a hard question. Um, so I, I didn't really, I have not really followed uh, many of the cases because there are so many of them. And I I had limited time until I was doxxed. And once I was doxxed, I was incredibly busy crying and screaming into a pillow for like two weeks straight. Um, and then obviously transcribing audio. So the thing is, what we used to always say, and people who like wouldn't trust me at first, like something that makes people trust you is like everybody was there. And you all know little things about it that like, why would random people know? Like, it would be a great deal of research to, you know, look that up, even think to look up, look it up. Um, but, you know, what we would always say is if they wanted us, they'll come and get it. They would, they would have already come and got us. Like, the location was on my phone. Everybody knew where I was. And the people I was hanging out with, they didn't have zip ties, right? They didn't, you know, they weren't going in. Because they would always say, like, that's for outdoor people and we're indoor people. So it's like, yeah, you go to J6 and, like, you're there and you're, like, part of me and it's patriotic and you're proud of it. It's like, you're not, you're not going to tie up AOC because you're going to have some dumb lunky tie up AOC. And then you're going to go back and you're going to hang out with, you know, so-and-so's staffers and you're going to like move on to the next thing. And 
those people, you know, like, I don't even understand how, like, what can we do? What can we do to make that not happen? Um, yeah, yeah. Aggressive zip tie guy, like whatever. Uh, but I mean, you know, what about Nick Fuentes? Like, what about Alex Jones? What about people like actually are responsible through years of rhetoric, whipping people up, getting them into a frenzy and then encouraging this stuff. And it's, I don't know, it's so bleak. <laughs> like the people, the people who were physically present, you know, I don't, it's not, I don't think that everybody who was there should get arrested. Like that would be crazy. That's, you know, there's so many people and most of them, so many of them had legitimately were just clueless, uh, especially if they didn't walk all the way down to the Capitol. They have, you know, they have no idea. I didn't know people were in the Capitol. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't know how we combat it. And I, because I, I don't know much about the cases other than like a couple of the ones that were like people who like grew up in the same neighborhood as me. Um, you know, I don't, I'm sure the government's going to overreach. I'm sure it's going to be terrible. Um, yeah, that, I, that's probably yeah, more what I'm, I, but, that's what I'm, I'm yeah. less asking you about specifics and more about just the general, Yeah. the general. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, of course, anything that can be used against the right will be used tenfold against the left, obviously. Um, but, you know, I don't know what their delights. I can't speak to it. I know they didn't bother, you know, asking me what I was doing there. <laughs> um, so I don't even, it's hard to even say and understand uh, how they're choosing people that they are targeting, you know, um, just based on knowing people who are inside who haven't had any repercussions come their way at all. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like it, I mean, if it was leftists who had done J6, we would have all been dead, first of all. And the ones who survived would have been immediately arrested. It, it would have been the way it was. And so whatever crackdown they do against these people, it'll just be done worse against us. That's, that's Adam. Absolutely. Well, um, Amanda, I really appreciate you taking the time um, out of your Monday afternoon to talk to us about this. Uh, where where can people find you and find your work? I mean, you know, you said you had a couple of things coming out. So, uh, you know, where should people go to to listen and to to read what what you're going to have come out? Um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram um, at no turtle soup 17. Uh, and then once, once my stuff is getting published, I'll, I'll be putting those links there and sending it to everybody I've ever met in my life <laughs> over and over. So you won't be able to miss it if you follow me there. Great. All right, Amanda. Well, thanks so much. And to all of you guys listening, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, We'll definitely have Amanda back on maybe maybe for early January, the one sixth anniversary. Who knows? Um, you can check out the Flashpoint print edition at owenhiggins.substack.com. That's E-O-I-N-H-I-G-G-I-N-S.substack.com. And you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com backslash owenhiggins underscore E-O-I-N-H-I-G-G-I-N-S underscore. Thanks a lot, guys. Talk to you.